You're listening to the Baseball Prospect Journal Podcast. Here is your host, Dan Zielinski. Welcome back to the Baseball Prospect Journal Podcast. I'm Dan Zielinski, founder and national writer at BaseballProspectJournal.com. You can find me on X or Twitter at DanZielinski3 and at the BP Journal. In today's episode, I sit down with Logan Quinton. He's a Baseball Prospect Journal contributor covering Tennessee and the SEC. He also has his own podcast, the 920 Podcast, which I definitely encourage you to check out. You can also find Logan on X at LDQ Sports. And in today's episode, Logan and I sit down to talk about the Tennessee Volunteers heading into the 2024 season. Also, just what players stand out to us on the Tennessee roster that are draft eligible. We also dive into the SEC and college baseball in general. Some teams we think could make the College World Series, especially with the college baseball season starting on Friday. So it's hard to believe the college baseball season is here, but really looking forward to it. And if you missed the news, Baseball Prospect Journal has some spring interns starting. We have one intern covering Florida, Ava. Looking forward to her covering Florida and everything the Gators have going on this year. It's a big year for the program after finishing as runner-ups last year and high expectations, as always, going into this season. And then we have Jonah and Noah both covering Nebraska. Jonah's also going to cover Creighton and UNO from time to time as well. So looking forward to having all three of those individuals and writers contributing this year for Baseball Prospect Journal. And definitely we'll have some news, probably on a few more exciting things happening this spring too. So looking forward to all of that. You can find all of that information on BaseballProspectJournal.com. We will have a lot of college baseball and draft content coming out here in the next weeks and months ahead. So definitely stay tuned to BaseballProspectJournal.com. Find us on Twitter at the BP Journal. So now let's get to it. Let's get our preview for the college baseball season with Logan Quinton. Joining me now on the Baseball Prospect Journal podcast is host of the 920 podcast and the Baseball Prospect Journal college baseball contributor, Logan Quinton. Logan, it's always good to catch up and talk, talk college baseball. How are you? Dan, I am excited. Uh, It's finally here. It's like Christmas Day. It's our Super Bowl pretty much for the both of us. Um, and I know there's uh, a huge following uh, baseball prospect journal, um, some Tennessee fans down in this area that are super excited about baseball season. And uh, it, it's approached quickly. You and I talked about it. It's we beg for it and we pain for it and it's finally here. It's rushed up on us. So anxious to get it going. And uh, finally really just, Glad to be talking ball with you on this Valentine's Day. Um, I was actually able to negotiate. You know, we got some good Mexican food, some chocolate, and some tequila. So I was able to uh, negotiate some time here where I can uh, I can talk some shop with you, Dan. Yeah, I uh, when I suggested Wednesday, I didn't even think of Valentine's Day. I can tell <laughs> that uh, I'm not doing anything for Valentine's Day, but it is what it is. Happy to be podcasting with you and glad you got a few minutes to do this. And you talked about Tennessee college baseball season opens up on Friday, Tennessee. They're out uh, 
in the Shriners Children's College Showdown. And they got some great games to start off this year. I'm curious to see how they do. Probably the toughest part, one of the toughest parts, their non-conference schedule with Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and Baylor. Should be some good competition and challenge there. Most consider Tennessee a top 10 team going into this year. Obviously, the SEC's loaded. Tennessee's coming off the College World Series appearance. Ever since Tony Vitello's been there, they've always had talent. I guess for you, just what is your overall thoughts going into 2024 and this Tennessee baseball team? The one word that keeps coming to my brain is balance. I think this, for starters, the lineup is really balanced. You and I were talking you know, obviously there's a hole at shortstop and you have to figure that out. Uh, there's some dudes competing for it. Uh, one of those being Ariel Antigua, which he's going to be sidelined for a few more weeks. Hopefully he can get back and get ramped up to game speed before conference play, because it really seems like he had the lead. I had a good feeling about him going back to uh, fall. You know, I, I was able to watch him play and compete heat in the fall and it just really even from my first time seeing him he I don't think he got a hit the first scrimmage that I saw him but his presence the way he commanded himself in the field and in the box really struck a chord with me in a good way and then the next thing you know I saw game one I think it was game one of the uh, fall world series where they go orange and white orange and black whatever it was up in Smokies Park the double a stadium and he was the star of the show. Uh, he would have had a perfect day had it not been for the wind that uh, killed a home run. But, man, and, and I give credit to you, Dan. Uh, the hit tool is what he carries uh, into this thing, and it's what made him a potential top five round pick, you know, in last year's draft potentially. And then he had the injury. Um, Got to wonder if not for the injury – if he would have been in the same company as Carson Rucker, um, a, a highly touted prep that gets some good money and uh, takes their talents to the pro level. But this dude, not just what he does on the field, but off the field, he's, he's hanging around the top dogs, you know, as, as a freshman, he's hanging. That's, that's the click that he, he walks around with and hangs around with super excited about him. But until the meantime, uh, you've got, some some JUCO guys and Bracky Laurie, uh, Alex Perry from Pearl River. Laurie is highly touted. There's some in the industry that are really high on him. Uh, he killed it at the JUCO level. I think last year hit 400 on the circuit. And, uh, you know, my first guest of the season was Aaron Combs, who uh, pitched at Central, the College of Central Florida. And he knew Lowry from uh, the JUCO circuit. He had nothing but good things to say about him. Uh, and he looks like he's going to be the guy to start things off at least this weekend down in Arlington. Other than that, I mean, starting at the catcher position, Cannon Peebles coming over from NC State, big-time hitter. Uh, the reason he hit the portal is because NC State has arguably the best catcher in college baseball. Um, it, but Peebles, I mean, he carries the hit tool, and uh, we'll see what he can do defensively. I don't think there's a hole there really to, you know, it's, it seems like in college every year, there's maybe two or three guys that kind of, you know, are up at the top of the list and is separated from everybody else. Other than that, I mean, 
if you have a good rapport with your pitcher um, and they can respect the throw from home plate a, at least a little bit, I mean, a guy that hits like this, a switch hitter, I'm super excited about. I mean, the the pitchers that I've spoke with have nothing but good things to say about Peebles. He's always the first one they mention in terms of um, being a tough at bat. So anxious to see what he can do there. And then filling out the infield, Blake Burke, Simo, you know, Christian Moore. We know about those guys. Those are potential top 50 guys in this year's draft. Um we know what to expect from them. And Billy Amick, he's one of my favorites. Uh, he was uh, the number one guy I had on my list in terms of the transfer portal uh, last summer. Didn't take him long at all to uh, want to change shades of orange and hop over to Rocky Top after being uh, a great performer at Clemson. Great hitter. I mean, just he, he probably has – the best hard hit rates, I would say, among the team. I mean, just blisters the ball, has a good feel uh, for the barrel. In the outfield, I think that it's this outfield is underrated. Uh, it's going to be Hunter Inslee in center. Uh, Dylan Dryling and Kavars Tears will likely start in each corner. But you've got a guy lurking back there in uh, uh, Reese Chapman. He was number one coming out of Colorado. Uh, he and Dryling came over in the same class. Dryling won that battle last year to get to get some playing time and to kind of hit that century mark in terms of at bats. I think it's going to be a healthy competition if if Chapman can push these guys, knowing that those corner spots aren't necessarily locked up. I think that's going to be healthy competition for the outfield. And then you're going to have a guy like Dalton Bargo, who is just kind of plug and play in the lineup. He's mostly going to be DH. He's played third and it's played outfield and it's played catcher and scrimmages and things like that. So uh good utility left-handed bat, by the way, to have embargo. Yeah. And that's what I'm really impressed with, with going into the season in Tennessee, they had eight guys drafted last year, also lost some guys to the portal. Chase Burns is the biggest name they lost in the portal, but Tony Vitello and his staff, they just reload and their top 10 team, their team that has realistic college world series, national championship aspirations. And you talk about Antigua. I remember in the fall, all of a sudden I noticed that article I wrote about him last year during the draft process, that article all of a sudden was spiking in views. And I'm like, he must be having a good fall. And then we talked and sure enough, he was, and he's a guy I completely forgot was even at Tennessee. I think it was just simply because with that injury towards ACL and meniscus and really didn't play. I don't know if he ended up even playing at all his senior year. I know he missed a lot of time at the very I think least. He, I think he was able to DH some at the very end, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, but not know, much. It's no yeah. like really no sample. Yeah, because I know he said he was going to come back in April potentially, but that was still kind of 50-50 when I last spoke with him. And – yeah, he's an exciting prospect. I know he's a guy that knows Manny Ramirez. They would hit together or do hit together and just potential off the charts with him. So I'm, I wish he was healthy, like you said. I would have liked to have seen him from day one, but I'm hoping, like you said, too, that he'll be back for SEC play so he can kind of get his feet wet before the tough conference play. And one guy I'm eager to see is uh, Drew Beam. I saw him at the College World Series last year. 
extremely impressed with him. Just the size, obviously the makeup is really good too. A 6'4", 210-pound right-handed pitcher, really relies on that four-seamer and curveball, but really just a complete pitcher, safe in terms of kind of a draft profile. And some guy, a guy I think is kind of underrated, even though he's still a guy that could be a first-round pick this year. I just I think people are low on him for whatever reason. So I'm curious to see how he does this season as well. Yeah, you called it, Dan. I mean, one of the safest picks as it stands right now in this year's draft in terms of a first rounder, a top 10, 15 guy. I mean, it's give me that all day long, especially with the pitch mix. It's not like he's um, trying to refine that third pitch and have get to a three pitch mix or something. It's this dude is going to have a legit five, six pitch mix. I mean, he talked with you about developing that cutter. Um, he's going to have a, a two seam to go along with the four seam. And then you think about uh, the changeup. The changeup is probably, it might be the best changeup in college baseball. Um, and then the curveball that worked so well last year, he kind of, there was a slight uptick in that usage towards the end of the year because um he was, you know, he needed a way to miss more bats, and it worked. Uh, and I think about that Southern Miss series, uh, Clemson, just he was so on point. And I saw him a couple of weeks ago um, in a scrimmage, and it was basically, it may have been their ho most highly competitive scrimmage um, so far to this point in the spring. And I remember thinking to myself that there can't be another pitcher in the nation executing these pitches as well as, as drew beam. And then I, I went home and saw highlights at chase burns that night, but anyways, he was, he was sharp. He was really sharp. And uh, yeah. And then this was a couple of weeks ago when they're at like a 55 pitch count roughly. Um, so anxious to see what he does. It's going to be Saturday and not Friday. Uh, they've announced just today. A.J. Russell is going to get the nod on Friday night, and then Sunday is to be determined. I was surprised when you texted me that and said Beam is two, Russell is one. A.J. Russell had a great freshman year last year, really low ERA. His numbers kind of jump off the page for only a freshman, especially when you're pitching in the SEC. He had uh, – 0.89 ERA, 30 innings, 47 strikeouts to only seven walks. I mean, the guy was dominant in yeah. relief last year. So I'm not surprised that he's a starter this year. I'm just surprised Drew Beam is number two and Russell's number one, but we'll see how that works out throughout the year. Yeah, and you've got time to, if you need to, over the course of the next three, four weeks, kind of slide Beam back to Friday if you need to. But I think I'm not completely shocked. Obviously, I'm a little surprised because uh, the conservative safe thing to do would to be send your best pitcher uh, on Friday, get off on the right foot. But these guys have depth. And Russell, as it pertains to A.J. Russell, I think that it's – I take it as a message to A.J. because going back to last year, he had a really good outing. I forget which one it was, but Tony was talking to us about how, you know, he – he kind of called him out in a good way talking about AJ. Um, he made the comment, something to the effect of, well, you know, it soon you're going to be 
pitching on the weekend and he said it might be sooner than soon you know and this was among guys like uh chase dolander drew beam obviously uh chase burns seth halverson uh andrew Lindsay. so to really kind of um call out aj in a good way you know i i think that speaks volumes and you know lo and behold we open up the season with aj russell being slated as the the friday guy so i i love i love the makeup of aj um it's for him it's going to come down to the breakers how how did the breakers work can they can they miss bats i'm not worried about the fastball he has such good command of the fastball kind of reminds me of sean hunley uh sean hunley uh was was a pitcher that you know going into his last year it's like is he gonna is he gonna start he he kind of has starter material material but maybe he's better served as a depth piece in the bullpen and next thing you know he was like on the stop of the stopper of the year list he he recorded nine saves in 21 um and the command of the fastball was just so good i mean he threw like low 90s uh but the command was so good he was able to miss bats with it and that's what uh that's what reminds me of aj russell but aj obviously has more projectable power and you think about his frame uh, i think he's like six six but his release point is around five feet <laughs> and so when when you're able to jump on guys like that uh and you know i i, I would imagine he's gonna sniff 95 um with good command if the breakers are there this dude's gonna be pretty nasty yeah i'm excited to see how he does because like you said he has a talent he's proven he can pitch whether he's on friday or saturday he's deserving of a starting spot so and hate to go back to it frank anderson's a pitching coach i trust frank with developing yep. guys so <laughs> we know they're gonna have a quality rotation regardless of how they line it up so um that'll be fun to see another guy i'm curious to see is blake burke first baseman guy who huge power hitter cut his strikeouts in about half last year his strikeout rate at least in half about last season has hit 30 home runs just under 300 in his first two years at Tennessee. Definitely a draft prospect, a guy to watch going into the season. What do you make of Blake going into his junior year? Well, I've seen a lot of opposite field work. I can tell you that um, both power and otherwise, just overall hit tool. Um, I've seen this guy beat the shift over the offseason. Um, I've seen him put some over the wall going going oppo um i think you're gonna see that the concern is the numbers in conference play going back to last year um you know can he be like a 260 270 hitter in sec play because we know he's either gonna get on base or he's gonna crush non-conference competition um what he does in conference play is going to be huge. We may get a taste of that this weekend going up against, you know, Texas Tech and Oklahoma and Baylor. I really think that he's going to pull through and he's going to kind of level out some of those numbers, uh, you know, because there's such a contrast in conference versus non-conference. Um, the dude has probably arguably the, you know, biggest power tool he and Jackie Cags um, in the game, Nick Kurtz as well. You know, like he's in that group. 
it's just a matter of consistency developing that hit tool from the left-handed side you know in terms of draftability I think that if he gets there it's gonna take care of itself I don't think there's a huge concern about position uh, because if he bumps those numbers up and gets them closer to if not with Jackie Cags and Nick Kurtz then you know you're talking about a, a guy that you know, you could see drafted in the in the first round. We talked about a lot of guys from Tennessee. Last question about Tennessee before we look at the SEC, kind of a, as a big picture. Anyone you're kind of watching, thinking is going to have a breakout year for Tennessee? Oh, that's a good question uh, because there's a lot of candidates. Yeah, you know, s- sticking with the bats. You know, I'm going to go Kavaris Tears. And, you know, I would I would mention Dylan Dryling to, to people who aren't quite caught up with who he is and how he projects because you, myself, um, and some other guys that we know in the industry are particularly high on Dylan. I don't – others maybe not so much. We've kind of been on him, you know, for, for quite some time. Uh, the ceiling is a day – a top-end day two guy, I think. Um, but you, he needs, he needs 200 at bats, you know, in my opinion, uh, he pretty much had somewhat of a full-time run. I mean, he played enough. I kind of a, a key number I look for is a hundred at bats, you know, in your first year of sec play a hundred at bats overall, that is, um, and he performed well, he was clutch. The guy is like the sweetest kid you'll ever meet. But he's he's a menace when he steps in the box, and all the players say that the players and the coaches um, just kind of are in awe about the way he changes things with his presence once he gets in the box. And he, if it wasn't for he and tears, <laughs> who knows where that season would have gone because it was their solo shots, uh, Tennessee down to their last outs, you know, on Rocky Top against Vanderbilt when they coming off an zero and three trip to Arkansas season is about to be put in the dumpster left for dead. And uh, they, they help save it. And so I would mention those two, but for me, it's tears. The guy has done some work in the off season, not just like on the field type of stuff. I'm talking like in the weight room, he is like super fit. Uh, I could tell that going back to the fall, just, sitting from the press box and seeing him move around and work in the field looked like a different dude. Just stepping off the bus, uh, you could tell he put the work in conditioning-wise. That's not a surprise with um, Coach Q, uh, the strength and conditioning coach here at Tennessee. Uh, the, he's back for a reason. Um, and, and the players love him and kind of latch on to him. And I think Tears is going to be a product of that. Uh, there's some swing and miss concerns you know, a little bit of hole there, but like, I think all in all tears will be a guy who can stay in the lineup. And I think he could get to double digit homers. Uh, the play in right field is what I think people will appreciate. It was kind of an adventure last year. I mean, they were kind of rotating all over the place and things like that. And the guy's athletic. Uh, he had some bad jumps and some, he was able to correct and some, he wasn't. I think that's going to get better because if it does, this guy could project as a plus defender at the college level. 
the arm is insane. I think people are going to be pretty surprised what he can do with his arm. So if he can kind of get his reads and positioning right and a decent jump, I think that defense is going to flash a little bit too. Yeah, Dryling's a guy I'm curious to see how he does because, like you said, we've been kind of aware of him. You specifically have been aware from it, of him for a long time, ever since he stepped on campus. And he's a guy that coming in to college, he was pretty well regarded, but he wasn't like a huge name either in that sense. He was a top 300 player coming in, but he showed success in kind of a limited sample size. Yeah. It all comes down to how you perform in SEC play. If you can hit SEC pitching, you're going to get drafted and have a chance to have a pro career because the high level of SEC pitching, and he's going to be a huge piece and key for a Tennessee lineup. So I'm excited to see how Dryling does this year, but talking about the SEC, like I was talking to a couple other people, even just today about the SEC year in and year out by far the best conference. And this year it's not going to disappoint again. You got LSU defending national champions. Obviously they lose Skeens and Dylan Cruz, but they still bring back Tommy tanks and a whole bunch of other guys starting the pitching on LSU is crazy and we can get into that. But um, then you have defending runner up Florida coming back, high expectations, Arkansas for how talented they are and even how high they are ranked. I still think fly under the radar. I don't, I think people are talking about LSU, Florida, Tennessee. I think Arkansas maybe kind of goes a little under the radar. Then you got Texas A&M, South Carolina, Auburn. Oh, again, the, the SEC is loaded. What do you make of this year's conference? Who's kind of some teams in your mind that could prevail and win this conference this year? Uh, before we move on, move on to this, just a note on Dryling real quick for those that are listening, because um, there was some confusion last year. The dude is draft eligible this year. He's an older sophomore and uh, will be 21 at the time of the draft. So, and, and tears as well, but Dryling's the one that, uh, yeah, good to make point. a note of, especially as it pertains to uh, this year's draft. But um, about the SEC, you know, I'm not into, uh, you know, the preseason rankings, like trying to rank them myself and all this yeah. stuff and throwing up cute, pretty graphics. Just <laughs> not my thing. Um, but it's like it's fun to look at and learn and talk about. Um, you know, if you wanted me to power rank these uh, – where like you're trying to uh, develop an outcome that provides incentive, then that's kind of my jam. But um, to answer your question, I I'll put it this way. Um, if I had three SEC teams to pick for Omaha, because I think three is a safe bet, I'm always a proponent of four, five. Heck, <laughs> let's even make it all SEC in Omaha and go eight. But if I were to pick three teams – to ride ride their wagons to Omaha. It would be uh Tennessee, uh Arkansas, and Texas AM. You know, what that means, how they fall in line, I mean, right now, who knows? I, but I think, you know, you look around at all these preseason rankings that everybody's doing, uh, and then the coaches won. You have the usual suspects. I mean, you know, there may be one slotted a spot or two down in the east or west or whatever, but you're looking at Tennessee, Florida, Arkansas, LSU, A&M, Vandy. That's kind of the common six, I would say. I mean, that's – I would venture to say about 90% of the polls are, you know, uh, 
you know, the the rankings or whatever, that's probably the common six. Um, and that's fair. Like that, that would probably be mine. Uh, but I do think that a team to watch out for, and it's going to be tough because particularly because like the four teams in the East, maybe five teams in the East, I don't know where the room is to, to kind of position, but there's always a team that blows a couple of tires. I mean, Tennessee did it. You know, they started off 4-11 and 11 last yeah, year. Uh, but a team to keep an eye on for me is Georgia. I love the Wes Johnson hire. I love the fact that he's coming over, and, yeah, he's the head coach. He's going to be put a little bit of a CEO hat on, but he's taking care of the pitching. <laughs> and, like, if you follow Georgia baseball the past few years, it's just been uh, all gas, no breaks to the you know the last couple of weeks of the season, and then they, they're skidding off the road. And then, or it's you know last year was obviously a down year all around, but they just couldn't figure it out. And it for me, it comes back to the pitching. I mean, you've had guys like Jonathan Cannon, Liam Sullivan, Jaden Woods, who went in last year's. I think he was a top two hundred guy in last year's draft just for whatever reason, couldn't quite blossom. Jonathan Cannon couldn't quite, you know, I know they're, they're, you covered him, Dan, pretty well. Yeah, I, yeah. Maybe there was an injury there that he fought through his last year. But still, um, I think Wes Johnson is the man for the job. I think it's a really good fit. Uh, the recruiting ground is fertile there in Georgia. But in terms of this year, they've got, they've got a lot of guys coming over from the portal, and I, I like just about – all of them really um they've got pitching they've got talent on the pitching staff um they're going to be a little bit of an older club but it's going to be a, in a different light than like last year last year they I mean think about the Tate twins the past like 17 years it seems like um you know whether it's the Tate twins or or other guys just key cogs there veteran guys that um you know, just really good baseball players. Oh, by the way, I haven't even mentioned Charlie Condon yet. I mean, when you start off building a team with with that type of guy, um, that's kind of enough to get things started because that that bat is loud. He's got a a smooth swing, uh, easy mechanics. Everything's easy for him in that that swing. So, you know, I'm anxious to see what what georgia does it, it's going to be tough because that east the top of it you expect florida tennessee vandy and then you got like kentucky lurking there south carolina can they pick up uh and build off of uh you know what some would say is a su surprise season um a little volatile but i don't know how the positioning works but if i had a bold prediction i would say that georgia finishes 10 or better uh in the conference yeah, what I think is crazy about the SEC, too, is we look at a team like Ole Miss, Mississippi State, two teams that have won a national title within the last three years, and they're, I don't want to say not in the picture, but they're not on everyone's favorites to win the SEC list right, right now. So, and yeah, you mentioned Wes Johnson. I remember talking to Charlie and uh, in the fall, and he just raved about Wes and the culture he brought in just the coaching staff in general i think georgia with west johnson is so highly respected he's got that pro experience too which i think really helps this day and age with 
guys coming in. They want that pro touch. So I'm excited to see what Wes Johnson does at Georgia. LSU to me is kind of a, it's an interesting team. A lot of expectations last year, lost some big names. I still think their pitching is going to be the question mark, even though they have a lot of guys there that can vie for a starting rotation spot. A lot of guys coming out of high school that were really well-regarded. Gage Jump, Thatcher Hurd, um, Cam Johnson's a freshman this year who I was really high on last year and thought he reminded me of CC Sabathia. Um, they got a bunch of guys there that could start. So fitting those pieces together, seeing who emerges out of the group will be interesting. Tough to repeat in college baseball. Doesn't mean they can't get back to the uh, to Omaha and have a chance, but you never know. And then Florida, they always seem to be a mainstay. Big year for Jack Caglione. I think he needs to show a little bit better plate discipline, pitching. I think he needs to take a step forward pitching-wise if that's the direction he wants to go long-term. I'm not sure which he prefers, but I think he needs to take another step forward pitching-wise, tighten up some things, improve his control and command. So a lot of question marks with – I shouldn't say a lot, but question marks with every team. Definitely will get sorted out at the end, but uh, – I'm just excited to see all these teams play out. So definitely I think Tennessee is in that mix. Texas A&M, I feel like is kind of building up to a college world series appearance there with um, really love them. Yeah. Yeah. I think they've got some pieces there that could really make a run. So Arkansas, their pitching staff too, with Hagan Smith lefty Friday night guy, and then some quality guys behind him too, could be interesting. So I'm excited to see how the sec plays out and I don't know how much you've kept up with other teams around the country, Logan, but in terms of just the college world series in general, and we'll kind of end on this because I know we're kind of getting low on time, but Wake Forest loaded with talent. It's unbelievable what Tom Walter has done with that program in the last couple of years. Last year, they didn't even lose back-to-back games until their last two games of the year. So, and Nick Kurtz, I think, even though he's a first baseman, has a legitimate shot of being the first overall pick because he can also play right field, hits for average, hits for a ton of power. Chase Burns is looking really good. Just spoke with him about a month ago, and he's raving about the player development system at Wake Forest, which you know, I'm glad to see he's hopefully going to reach his full potential. He showed it at Tennessee, but I think maybe a different perspective will help him this year. So, but Iowa. I'm a Midwest guy. Iowa is a team I'm mm-hmm. watching this year for the College World Series. That's starting rotation with Brody Breck, Marcus Morgan, and Cade Obermuller, who I have a story coming out soon about. Um, that might be the best one, two, three punch in college baseball this year, which is crazy to say at Iowa, they have the best one, two, three punch, but all three guys have a chance to get drafted in the probably first two rounds. Brody Breck could be a top 10 pick. Marcus Morgan could be a first round pick and Kate Obermuller is kind of the wild card. He's a guy that came out of the bullpen last year. He's a draft eligible sophomore throws from a unique arm slot, kind of sidearm, very deceptive, but his pitch mix is really nasty, a little bit undersized, but he's got the pedigree with his dad being a former major league pitcher. Um, He's really in a good player development system at Iowa, especially on the pitching side. So Iowa out of kind of, the rest of the country is a team I think could make a college world series run. Yeah. You're not alone. And you know, that pitching staff, you mentioned that's when you talk about the metrics and measuring how well 
how nasty pitches are the stuff plus category is uh is mentioned a ton in that regard over there in the the cornfield i'm a, i'm not <laughs> as bullish on iowa i've got to wait and see with wake forest you got to show me that because they're kind of this consensus number one it feels like right yeah. but i gotta see it first i think that their noise will kind of um so two teams that they affect really um duke is getting a lot of talk about their pitching depth and rightfully so i think the santucci leading sure. that leading that charge um i think he has the potential to be a top 15 pick maybe even the first lefty college guy off the board um and they're deep they are deep but one team that i've and, and then there's clemson uh, but one team I feel like is kind of getting shoved back because of some of the noise from Wake Forest and that trickle-down effect is NC State. Um, they've got a really solid, like, starting weekend, it looks like, and they have one of the best catchers in the country. Uh, good recruiting going on there. And I'll leave Tennessee fans with this little Tennessee connection. Remember, Hollis Fanning is a guy that uh, transferred over there, and – he start he can be starter material. The guy's a mountain of a man. He's like seven and a half feet tall and like three hundred and fifty pounds. I mean, the guy's a freak, uh, yeah. athletically and um just a hard thrower, a guy that's just an uncomfortable bat uh coming off the mound and <sighs> talking about uh where where does the value lie? I think uh they might be hanging on a shelf in Dollar General um for people overlooking <laughs> them. So um, I, they would be like my dark horse to make Omaha, you know, if you wanted me to make a pick, uh, everybody else, you know, with like the wake and the Iowa, a lot of talk about those teams, uh, but I'm going to have to see it for both yeah. of those, but yeah, we agree on A&M. I think we're right there to circle back to them. They've got a one, two punch, uh, in the box and on the mound. Uh, when you think about like Justin Lampkin and, uh, Troy Wansing. Mm -hmm. They had great performances in Hoover. Love seeing them. And then they've got a couple of freaks, just absolute freaks, and Braden Montgomery and Jace Lavalette. Jace is just 6'6", 230, runs like a deer, left-handed bat. He was on the Freshman 5 uh, article last summer. Go check it out at Baseball Prospect Journal. Um, yeah, it's I'm, I'm digging some A&M. Yeah, Braden Montgomery, too. It surprised me when he transferred from Stanford because the times I talked to him, he just raved about that program. But it, I'm sure there's multiple factors involved in that. But I know he just kind of wanted to change his scenery as he gets ready for yeah. pro ball and wanted to play in the SEC, which you can't blame him for that. So I'm curious to see if he can take the next step. We know he can hit pitching. He's definitely, it sounds like, going to get more innings this year. So we'll see how he does. But, yeah, I like what Texas A&M doing and – like you said, there's always some dark horse teams. I mean, we had Oral Roberts at the College World Series last year. So <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's where uh, another Tennessee connection. Uh, uh, you know, Tennessee had a player transfer there, Kyle Booker. Uh, that's becoming a destination point for like some of these guys that kind of get caught in no man's land uh, with competition and the and guys transferring into SEC schools and things of that nature and. You know, there's not enough bats or innings to go around, and things happen, and it's like, you know what? Oral Roberts is a destination point now for, like, 
23, 24 year olds and, and you know, some of those older kids that are transferring over there and lo and behold, they put together a really experienced and talented squad. Logan, thank you for the time. Make sure to follow Logan on X or Twitter at LDQ sports. And you can find him on the 920 podcast as well as at baseballprospectjournal.com as he covers Tennessee and the SEC for us this spring. So always really enjoy Logan's content, his perspective each and every season, and looking forward to seeing it again this year. That is going to wrap it up for this edition of the Baseball Prospect Journal podcast. I'm Dan Zielinski, founder and national writer at BaseballProspectJournal.com. You can find me on X at DanZielinski3 and at the BP Journal. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.